Amen. You know, I, uh, I understand that when things are uh, hot and heavy in the classroom and with the assignments and things are piling up, it is very tempting to get discouraged. And uh, I love that song. I remember singing that song over and over again on ensembles together. Paul, did you and I sing that together? Yeah, we did. And, uh, you know, just that encouragement every time Christ won the victory, the battle has been won. And uh, something I've been thinking about lately, this isn't what I'm going to be preaching about here today, was just, you know, we can understand the fact of the fact that the the battle's been won. Um, But as we've been studying in Sunday school, uh, something I've been studying actually over the last little bit in uh, Ephesians, he tells us that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you know what is the hope of his calling. And if any of you listened to the podcast uh, this last weekend, I talked about hope and the fact that you have something to look forward to, and it's because of the victory that Christ has won. And uh, it's my prayer that, um, that as you go throughout your studies and as you seek the Lord, that God would open your eyes, not just to the theological facts, but the spiritual reality that you have hope. Christ has won the victory. Um, as we uh, uh, were getting geared up, uh, I and our team, in fact, fellas, could you stand up back there? Um, we are in the midst of training here, and I think most of you know Ben Reisinger. Uh, that is the brother of Matt and Nathan Reisinger, and Charlie Stratton are our two team captains. And uh, Ben is the Navy captain, Charlie is the Army captain. So if you all are, uh, have allegiance to one of those two teams, you can share your special secrets with them, and uh, I'm sure that would be a help and a blessing. Thank you, fellas. You can sit down. Uh, but we are in the midst of training. I would appreciate it if you would pray for us. Uh, we've got a full tour, and uh, praise the Lord for that. In fact, uh, uh, as you're praying, uh, if you want to pray uh, intelligently here, we are going to be uh, in North Fort Myers, Florida. Uh, we'll be in Ocala, Florida. We'll be in Fort Myers uh, proper uh, there in Florida, Pensacola, Florida. Um, I don't know if you're seeing a trend there. We like to be in Florida. In fact, uh, pastor's been praying for you know, the negative temperatures, and I've not been praying for that, and I think that just proves he's a lot more spiritual than I am, because as you look at the weather forecast that's coming up, it's going to get very cold, which is why we are evacuating our trailer. Um, But anyway, then after that, we'll be in Byron, Georgia, uh, Taylor, South Carolina, Smyrna, Georgia, Interlochen, Florida, Lisbon, Ohio, Salisbury, Maryland, and uh, finally in Somerville, Alabama. But if you could please pray for a number of things. Pray for these two fellas and myself and my family. Uh, We are on the front lines in the trenches. If you've traveled before, you understand uh, the battle rages. And if you could uphold us in your prayers uh, and pray for the devil, uh, his defeat to be manifested, for God to give us boldness, especially those two guys. Um, Pray that God will help them come out of themselves like they never have, that God will give them boldness in recruiting, and uh, that God will bring out the young people, that God will convict their hearts, and that many will be saved. Uh, we got a number of churches that we're returning to here this semester, as well as a number of new ones, and uh, I'm really anticipating seeing the Lord do a great work. Also, uh, if you could pray that God uh, would continue to work in hearts about the V generation. Um, One of my burdens, in fact, uh, one of the things I've started doing this last year is every single decision card, uh, the little packets that we do in the counseling room, uh, we put a V generation card in there, and uh, we tell the church about it, and we really want these young people uh, to get plugged in, uh, to begin engaging with those resources, even these young people who are newly saved, 
Um, and I, it's, it's just such an encouragement to see even how, what God has done this last year. Think of Truman, right? Uh, you all, most of you were here at the uh, Cola Clash Plus, and just to hear what God's doing in his life, it is so exciting uh, to see how God is working in those things. In fact, uh, we have just started a brand new feature on the The Generation website. I'm calling them TG Testimonies. And uh, we've got a number of testimonies from young people queued up right now. And uh, we will be releasing those every Tuesday. And I say that, uh, the reason why I say that to you all is um, if you've got a testimony that you feel like would be an encouragement, uh, something God's been doing in your heart and in your life, send us an email. Send me an email. We'd love to perhaps feature that in a future uh, TG testimony entry uh, coming up. And uh, I'm sure, like on Monday Chapel, you are encouraged, right, every Monday in Monday Chapel. Uh, imagine that dynamic every week for all of the young people who are a part of the V generation. I would love to see that kind of a dynamic uh, move forward in that way. Uh, well, if you have your Bible, if you could turn with me, please, to Philippians chapter 2, uh, which is where we will be spending our time here this morning. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to be speaking to you here today uh, out of a passage uh, that is not unfamiliar to most of you. And yet, as we look at this passage, I really want to challenge you to look at it with fresh eyes, uh, for you to ask the Lord um, not only to open your eyes to what has been done for you, but in addition to that, for God to open your eyes to, what, uh, to how you as well can change your behavior and how you can uh, move forward in your own walk with the Lord as well. Uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to read the passage here. Uh, we'll be reading starting in verse 5 and following, and then we'll pray, and then we will dive into the message. Verse 5 says this. Uh, Paul is speaking to the Philippians. Uh, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What I'd like to speak to you about here this morning is reaching beyond the sanctuary. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Jesus, I do pray that you would illumine the scripture to us. Um, God, I am so aware of how needy I am standing uh, behind this pulpit, before these uh, godly young men and women. Um, God, I just pray that you would speak to us through your word. I pray that you would lift up Jesus and what he's done for you and the victory he's won for us and his example that we're to follow. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would change our thinking during this time. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Uh, Lord, I ask for your anointing and unction. I take it. God, I thank you for it. And I pray that it would be Jesus that's seen and felt and heard here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. September of 1940, a man named Vitold Piletsky uh, became aware of a number of atrocities that were being committed by the German nation. 
Uh, the Germans, as I know you understand, during the days leading up to and in the beginning days of World War II, um, felt it was their mission on earth to exterminate the Jewish people. Um, there have been a lot of rumors that have been swirling around about what exactly they were doing in these concentration camps, but the fact is nobody knew exactly, uh, precisely, what they were doing, and no one at the time could even imagine the magnitude of what they were doing in those horrid concentration camps. Um, this man, Vitold Paletsky, uh, he knew that something was terribly wrong, and because he was a religious man and because uh, he was a Polish patriot, he could not sit by and watch. He wanted to get information on the horrors, particularly of Auschwitz, but he knew that the only way to do that was to be from the inside. This man, uh, again, a captain in the Polish army, this man who had status, this man who had a position, this man who had a certain level of comfort uh, in his nation, in his military, recognized the great need and mission that needed to be accomplished. He and his superiors put together a plan, and they approved his plan. They provided a false identity card with a Jewish name for him. And then Poletsky allowed the Germans to arrest him during a routine Warsaw Street roundup. Poletsky was sent to Auschwitz and assigned inmate number 4859. Poletsky, the number, uh, I'm sorry, a husband and a father of two later said, quote, I bade farewell to everything I had known on this earth. Uh, he became just like any other prisoner, despised, beaten, and threatened with death. From inside the camp, he wrote, quote, the game I was now playing in Auschwitz was dangerous. In fact, I had gone far beyond what people in the real world would consider dangerous. But beginning in 1941, prisoner number 4859 started working on his dangerous mission. He organized the inmates into resistance units, boosting morale and documenting the war crimes. Poletsky used couriers to smuggle out detailed reports on the atrocities. By 1942, he had also helped organize a secret radio station using scrap parts. The information he supplied from in inside the camp provided Western allies with key intelligence and information about Auschwitz. In the spring of 1943, Poletsky joined the camp bakery where he was able to overpower a guard and escape. Once free, he finished his report estimating that around two million souls had been exterminated at Auschwitz. When the reports reached London, officials thought he was exaggerating. Of course, today we know, uh, we know that he was right. Um, here's how a contemporary Jewish journal summarized Poletsky's life. They said, once he set his mind to the good he never wavered, never stopped. He crossed the great human divide that separates knowing the right thing from doing the right thing. In his report, Poletsky said, there is always a difference between saying you will do something and actually doing it. A long time before, he said, many years before, I had worked on myself in order to be able to fuse the two. The current Polish ambassador to the U.S. described Poletsky as, quote, a diamond among Poland's heroes. Here we find a man who was on a mission. And in order to accomplish this mission, he had to climb out of his comfort zone. He had to make himself vulnerable. And he had to stop at nothing in order to accomplish this great mission, which in the end would rescue millions and millions of innocent lives. 
Um, his job was an inside job. It was a great risk and peril to his own personal safety and health, and yet he was willing to not only say what needed to be done, but to do what needed to be done. And I think you're all following the illustration here today. There was another man a long time before Poletsky ever stepped onto the scene. Uh, who saw a great need in this world, who saw a world that needed to be saved and knew this had to be an inside job. And as we find here in this text, this man, Jesus, recognized the fact that the world needed to be rescued and therefore he himself also set into motion a rescue plan uh, that you and I are eternally indebted to him that he carried out. Um, in Philippians chapter 2 here, in these verses, we read of this rescue plan. And we read that Jesus reached beyond the comforts and privileges of the courts of heaven to reach the world. And what we find in verse 5 is Paul's challenge to the Philippians. And by extension, his challenge to us is for us to let this mind also be in us. This way of thinking... This dedication not just to knowing what needs to be done, but to do what needs to be done to accomplish God's mission here in this earth. As Jesus reached beyond the sanctuary to rescue the world, at great risk to his own personal safety and comfort, so should we. What I want to do is I want to walk through the passage here. I want to talk to you exactly about what Jesus himself did. We'll do some explanation here. Uh, you who've taken homiletics this year, and uh, then we'll spend the end of our message really applying that to us and really considering, thinking uh, about what does that mean when he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, we find first here in verse 6, it says, who Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And what we find here is Jesus was equal with God. We understand this. This is theological truth you learn in Bible college. You learn when you read the scriptures. Jesus himself was a part of the Godhead. He is a part of the Godhead. He had all the privileges and comforts of heaven. He was the very express image of the person of God. And Jesus, even though he had every privilege that heaven could afford, even though he had all power, even though he had every right that could be had, he didn't cling on to it. Um, what we find in verse 7, it says, but he made himself of no reputation. Those who are in my Greek class, uh, this last year we studied this passage. We saw here that he's saying that he literally emptied himself. Everything that he could have held on to, everything that he could have claimed as his own in, in, in resistance to this rescue plan, everything that he could have, that he had a perfect right to do, to hold on to, he didn't do it. Boy, I, I, I can only imagine how comfortable it would be, it'd be to be the Son of God. I can only ma imagine the honor that would be intrinsic to being in the form of God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having all comfort, having the ultimate comfort zone? <laughs> And yet seeing a need um, that was so great that could not be met other than stepping out, what we find here is that Jesus first, he climbed out of comfort. Um, you know, um, <clears throat> okay, I know this is really, really dumb, but my guys right now are, are working on a skit, okay? 
Um, we do a skit every night, and this is probably somewhat inappropriate. I, I don't think it's totally inappropriate, but the skit that they're doing is pencils. How many of you ever seen pencils? Okay, a couple of you, and it's Rastus and Hambone, and they kind of come out, and they haven't seen each other in forever, and they're talking about what they're doing, and one of the guys is saying, I got me a job, and you know, I'm over 500 men. Oh, what are you doing? I work, at the, I work mowing the cemetery. Okay, whatever. Um, and the other guy says, yeah, well, I, I decided I was going to make myself a paratrooper. And uh, the other guy says, oh, a paratrooper. I know what that is. Isn't that somebody that jumps out of airplanes, aeroplanes? And the other guy says, I'm not one of them kind of paratroopers. He says, what are you? I'm one of them guys that gets pushed out of aeroplanes. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it, it's funny because you kind of get this mental picture of a man who's there in the airplane, that which he knows is safe. And yet part of his job, part of his mission is not to stay there. In fact, if a paratrooper stays in the airplane, he's a failure. The whole point of being a paratrooper is to jump. But sometimes, you know, uh, sometimes... Uh, we, as we stand in our comfort zone, as we walk around this building right here where we know everybody's saved, as we're in and out of our classes, and as we walk across the parking lot to our dormitory with nary a lost person around, and we recognize the need of this world, it's so easy for us just to stay where we feel comfortable. Just to stay on campus. And sometimes the administration, they have to give you a little push, Right? With some requirements. You know, you got to go out one time every week, soul winning, right? Is that still a requirement? I think it is. You know, sometimes you got to get a little bit of a push, and there's a certain sense in which when you've got to be pushed, it's not the same as when you do it of your own free will. You know, um, there's, there's a difference between being obedient and being motivated. You know, being obedient is a good thing. When you're told you need to go out of your comfort zone, you need to step beyond this campus here, you need to step out beyond the borders of Falls Baptist Church and ministries and go tell somebody about Jesus, there's a big difference between doing it and stepping out of your comfort zone because you're told you have to because you're going to fill out a report and you'll get called into the dean's office if you don't. There's a big difference between being obedient and being motivated. And I want you to know that Jesus, though he was being obedient, made it very clear that his passion, his mission in coming to this earth was not just to, oh, do what I'm told to do, but his passion and his mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus wasn't just obedient. He did not just conform. He did not just do what was required of him. He was motivated to rescue the world. You think of this man, Vitold Paletsky, and this man himself was not required by his superiors to place himself in that concentration camp. And yet, because the man could not sit idly by and watch the world get taken over by the Germans, he willingly, self-motivated, stepped out beyond his own comfort zone and, uh, and accomplished his mission. Um, I've been watching some videos some on, on, online of uh, wingsuits. Have any of you ever seen videos of guys with wingsuits? Those are amazing, aren't they? I would never do it. In fact, I saw one um, a couple years ago. I climbed up Table Mountain. I saw a guy who did this wingsuit thing, climbed up Table Mountain, okay, jumped off Table Mountain and uh, kind of glided down. And there was one little rock that was a little bit too high. And, yeah, that wasn't good for him. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, it's amazing to me to watch these men... Um, who are motivated by a cause that's really dumb. 
my own self-satisfaction, my own adrenaline kick, whatever it is, to feel like I've accomplished something by slightly gliding like Rocky the Squirrel um, <laughs> down some mountain somewhere, okay? We look at that and we think how inconsequential, and yet these men, because they are motivated, are willing to, at great risk to themselves, leap. In fact, I saw one of this fella who, who dove and glided through a hole in a rock that was six feet wide. And you look at that and you think, that is dumb. But it's kind of cool to watch. <laughs> but you know, as inconsequential as those men's missions are, and as consequential as our mission is, don't you think we should be so much more willing to jump out of our own comfort zone and to accomplish the mission at hand? You know, many of us, we find ourselves living in our comfort zone. And while you might conform and you might go out, just because you go out doesn't mean you step out of your comfort zone. You know what it's like. You go up to the door and pray that nobody's there. But you don't really pray. You hope. Because you know if you prayed, that wouldn't be God's will and, and whatever. Um, but, you know, <clears throat> you go out and you don't take that conversation a step further because it's uncomfortable. You don't seek God for God to bring somebody across to your path because you're afraid of that lack, that uncomfortable situation. Listen, this is, this is far, listen, this matter of stepping out of your comfort zone and not living in our comfort zone it is so much broader than just soul winning and reaching the world with a gospel because sometimes God has conversations to, for you to have with people that are uncomfortable. Sometimes there are problems that God has called you to address that are uncomfortable. And I'm telling you, I'm living in this right now. There are some things I know I've got to do that are not comfortable. And yet I look at those situations and I think, man, this could be great risk to a friendship. Man, this, this, this could, could risk a future relationship with this person if I had this uncomfortable conversation. And yet if we look Look at the example of Christ, and if we know it's right to do, nothing ought to hold us back. Nothing ought to hold me back from stepping out of my comfort zone for the good of another. Um, Jesus, as our example, is just amazing. Even though he was in the form of God, he did not think this, this, this clinging to equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself, he made himself of no reputation. So first we find that Christ climbed out of comfort and therefore you and I, if we are going to let that mind be in us, we need to get out of our comfort zone as well. Um, in uh, the end of verse 7 it says, uh, not only did he take upon him the form of a servant, um, but he was also made in the likeness of man. Secondly, not only did he climb out of comfort, he also stepped into vulnerability. And you know what? Let me tell you something. If you've been hurt before, it's really hard to make yourself vulnerable again. You know, here Jesus did not just step out of a comfortable situation into a slightly less comfortable situation. Jesus became a human being. He became a slave, is what this verse literally says. Jesus became a, a, a part of the human race with all of its limitations, with all of its weaknesses. He took upon him 
great vulnerability. And of course, you and I all know the ultimate expression of that vulnerability was what happened to him there uh, that day at Calvary. You realize Jesus was fully aware of the risk he was putting himself into. In fact, Jesus was fully aware of exactly how it would feel to have his beard ripped out of his face. He was fully aware uh, of what it would feel like to nearly die of asphyxiation as he was nailed to that cross. He knew, he, he, he could imagine the texture of those rough nails going through the base of his hand. Jesus knew what it would be like for his open sores on his back to rub up against the, that rough wood of the cross. Jesus knew exactly what he was getting himself into. He knew how vulnerable he would make himself by coming uh, and becoming a part of the human race by coming to die for the sins of the world. He was fully aware. He came into it, eyes wide open, and yet he still did it. How many times do we duck out of a situation because we think, oh man, if I did that, oh man, think of what they could say to me. Think of what they could do to me. Think of what this could do to my reputation. Think of, of how I could be misunderstood. Just imagine. Listen, one thing I've learned in my short time in ministry is if you run from problems, they don't get better. Problems are like mold, right? You leave them alone, they just get worse, okay? And uh, there are so many times when God brings problems across our paths and you hear something, and I'm not saying that every single problem is your job to solve. There's an extreme that you could go to in that and feel like you are the solution for every problem in the face of the earth. No, you're not the solution. Jesus is. But there are times, as the scripture tells us, if you see a brother that's overtaken in a fall, you are spiritual, are responsible to help that brother. And there are times when you have to have a conversation with somebody that's difficult. You have to have a conversation with somebody that, that you feel like, oh no, if I had this conversation, things could go really, really bad. There's an element of risk involved. And if God's telling you to do it and you don't, it will not get better. It'll only get worse. God will give you a sense, especially for those who are under your care and leadership. God will burden your heart, and so many times we run from the problems when we should run to the problems, and it doesn't solve anything. It doesn't solve anything at all. And here we find Jesus didn't run from the problem. He didn't stay in his comfort zone. He instead stepped outside. He jumped, so to speak, knowing the great risk that was in front of him, knowing exactly what would happen to him, and yet because he was motivated for the good of others, he did it anyway. And what we find here in verse 8, in being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. What are those next two words? Unto death. Even the death of the cross. What will it take to stop you? I'm looking around at young men who've got a lot of potential. I'm looking around at some young ladies who God wants to use in great ways. What is it going to take to stop you? Satan sure tried hard to stop Jesus. 
He tried temptation, right? Jesus wasn't going to have any of that. He had his eye on the prize, right? Jesus had his eye on his mission. <laughs> I'm not going to fall to this dumb stuff. No. I don't need, I don't need your exaltation. I've got my eyes on an exaltation that's far greater. You know, would it be there in the garden? Different scholars have different ideas, but some believe that Satan was trying to kill him there in that garden. Whether or not you take that to be the case, listen, just consider the question, what would it take to stop you? A bill that can't be paid? Is that going to stop you? How about some difficult family situations? Maybe mom and dad aren't on the same page with things. Is that going to stop you? What about a debilitating disease? Would that stop you? Listen, these things are pretty real to us, aren't they? What's it going to take to stop you? Is it going to take somebody that you revere and respect mistreating you? That stops a lot of people. You know, because a lot of times we think that our leaders are perfect, and I think we'd all agree we're not. But you know what? God has a lesson in every trial and circumstance and challenge. But you know what? If you get your nose bent out of joint and run from those issues, it'll stop you real fast. I believe that bitterness is one of the greatest roadblocks that Satan places in the way of young men and women of God. I really believe that to be the case. God will bring hard circumstances across your life, things that you feel like that's just not fair. And you get your nose bent out of joint, and you find comrades to commiserate together with you in those things. And I'll tell you what, before you know it, oh, you might continue moving forward. You might go into the ministry, but it's going to debilitate you. It's going to stop you. Listen. In my experience, and I'm, I'm telling you, I've had to wrestle through things myself because ministry hurts. Many times people don't intend to be hurtful. And yet for every time I've been hurt, I've probably hurt other people myself. We're imperfect. We're human. And yet the fact of the matter is Jesus did not let anything stop him. Jesus had his eye on the end goal. And no matter how much he was mistreated or betrayed by those who were close to him, he said, I will accomplish my mission as has been dictated me, to me by my Father. Listen, if Jesus was just in it to run, so to speak, if Jesus was just complying, he would have never finished his mission. But because he was motivated, because he was determined, I'm going to go all the way. I'm not going to stop at persecution. I'm not going to stop when things get hard. I'm not going to stop when I don't have housing. Right? Right? Listen, you evangelist young men, just get used to it, okay? Sunday night was fun. Went down to 10 degrees. And you know what? We're praying for solutions. We're praying for God to provide in certain specific ways. We have goals we're asking God to give to us as far as housing is concerned. But you know what? Even if he doesn't, I'm not stopping. Listen, are you willing? And listen, are you young man, are you willing? If God's called you to evangelism, are you willing to travel with 10 kids and no trailer? I don't have 10 kids, so I don't know what that's like, but... <laughs> Eva was the straw that broke the camel's back. Okay, where's Alex? You remember that. She was, she was tough. That was when God said, you need a trailer. Um, but you know, 
If you don't learn to live outside of your comfort zone, to step into uncomfortable situations because you're motivated by your mission from God, you'll stop it. You'll stop. You won't go all the way. You will not go all the way. Jesus stopped at nothing. And as we here consider, what, what would it take to stop me? Consider, listen, listen men, um, you're, you're going to get married, and you're going to realize that your wife, though she may seem strong, is not always strong. And listen, you have got to be determined to lead your wives into victory. You have to be determined that when children are crazy and running around in the front pew while you're up singing the special, remember that, Will? That was embarrassing. <clears throat> you have got to be committed. I'm not going to back down. When a church stiffs you and doesn't give you any anything for the offering, you've got to be determined, listen, I'm going to keep moving forward. When people don't get saved like you feel like they ought to get saved because God is grieved somewhere, you've got to be determined, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to continue moving forward. When Satan rages and does things that are just absolutely drop-dead scary, you have got to be determined. I'm not going to let that scare me out of the ministry. I'm going to continue moving forward and accomplishing God's God's mission for my life. I'm just telling you, if you don't get used to now living outside of your comfort zone, allowing yourself to get into uncomfortable situations where you might find yourself vulnerable, you will not complete your mission. But I want you to know it's more than just gutting it out. And I think you understand this here. Um, and I, I don't like to jump around to other passages, but real quick, turn over to Ephesians 1. I wasn't planning on going here, but I think the Lord would have us go here. I'm sorry, chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3. I've just been studying this recently, and it's just kind of, kind of busting out of my seams right now. Um, Paul's prayer for those Philippian believers uh, is that, um, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, in proportion to the wealth of heaven, uh, that he would give you to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. The strength is Christ. And the Christ's strength to step out of your comfort zone, to step into those situations and resolve those conflicts, to do what you know God wants you to do, only comes as Christ is living his life through you as you depend upon him. But it's more than that. Um, he goes on, he says uh, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, um, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. And here his second request for these believers is that they would understand what has already happened, that they have been rooted, that their roots have run deep in the unconditional love of God. And listen, some of you have grown up in families where the love was not unconditional, where the love was conditional. And where maybe you had a dad that was angry with you. Maybe you had a mom that 
that just did not treat you the way you ought to. And there's a sense in which sometimes we can superimpose those things on God. But when you recognize the fact that God, in his, uh, in his demonstration of his love through Christ, has expressed his love for you, and that love will not change. If you're saved, a child of God, your roots are deep in his love. And that is something that ought to ground you or stabilize you. And he says that you may, knowing what has already happened, may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth. God's love is broad. What is, uh, what is the length? It's long. God is long-suffering. God is patient with us in the depth. God's love is deep. It's far deeper than any human love is the depth and the height. God, God's love takes us to incredible heights. And here he says, and to know the love of Christ. It's interesting, the word for comprehend in verse 18 is the idea of to get it. <laughs> um, you need divine enablement to understand uh, God's love for you and what you have in his love. But in addition to that, um, he says in verse 19, and to know. <laughs> Uh, that's the word gnosko, means to experience. So I don't just want you to understand God's love for you, its magnitude. I want you to experience it every single day. The love of Christ that passes knowledge. And this is what I was really meditating on this morning, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Imagine everything that Christ is. Imagine who Christ was in that throne room. Imagine who Jesus, the Son of God, is, all that he has available to him. He is, as I mentioned, the express image of God. And Jesus here, it tells us, is what God wants us to be filled with, all of God's fullness. And uh, we, might, we might think, Paul, you're, um, that's quite a, quite a big prayer, that we're all filled with the fullness of God. I don't know, could God really do that? And of course, verse 20 and following, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. There's all kinds of words plays here I could spend time on, but I won't. Uh, but you know, as we experience the impossibilities in and through our lives, we bring glory to God, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. And you know, um, in, in talking of a message like this where I'm challenging you to step outside of your comfort zone, it's not about what you're capable of. It's all about what God is capable of doing. These two young men back there, Ben and Charlie, they're looking ahead and they just sat through the faith lecture. They've just been challenged to believe God and to talk to every single team they see. Right, guys? And that's impossible but it's still God's expectation for us. And if you'll depend upon God, he will not only enable you to do what you can envision, he'll do so much more. Um, young people, you are going to face challenges and difficulties. You're gonna face things that don't happen the way you think they're gonna happen. You're gonna face long-term challenges, and I want to challenge you to consider what is it gonna to take to stop you? Step out of your comfort zone, be willing to be in a position of vulnerability and let the mind of Christ be in you. God exalted him, and when we humble ourselves in the eyes of the Lord, he will lift us up as well. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Jesus, we come to you now just so aware of our weakness. And it's so easy to let interpersonal things knock us out of the running. 
God, I don't know every single nook and cranny of what your burden was for this message here today in the hearts of these young people, but I do pray that your will would be done. I pray that speed bumps and roadblocks that are ahead on their path, Lord, you would give them divine grace and enablement to blow right through them. And God, I pray that every young person in this room would continue, uh, Lord, that they would fulfill uh, your mission for their life in its entirety. Protect them uh, from bitterness. Protect them, Lord, from hurt that will knock them out of the running. And God, I just pray that your life uh, would win in them and through them. In Jesus' name.